Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Acey Rowe. This is The Doc Project. Okay, years ago, before I came to the CBC, I worked at this little music station. Because it was so small... All of the commercials were voiced by the staff. So I'm there for over a year. I have done dozens of commercials. It's always gone fine until I have to do one for a carpet store. And everything goes to hell because of two little words. Modern patterns. The commercial is for a contemporary minimalist carpet store selling carpets with modern patterns. Do you hear it? modern patterns. So the recording engineer stops me and says, no, no, it's... Actually, I can't say it, so how do you... Modern patterns. See, how is that modern patterns? Okay, I add an extra syllable. I have no idea why. It has been years now, and I mostly just avoid saying those words. And I have good reason. The way we say things, it sends a message... They're codes for our age, culture, profession, professionalism. But more than that, there are all kinds of biases baked into our responses to how other people speak. Whether you'll be seen as intelligent or worthy. Today, we've got two stories about voices. How the way we speak affects how other people see us and how we see ourselves. Coming up. We follow up on a 12-year-old story about a woman whose voice was slowly disappearing. But first, journalist Gretel Kahn. For Gretel, it's not just a few words, it's her accent. And she's trying to figure out what to do with it. Well, what are the things that kind of, like, give me away, I guess? Um, well, there's certain little things there, so here and there. Um, sometimes there's the flipping of the you know the y and the j sound the y and the j um i find sometimes the way you pronounce like the z sound versus the s sound like uh, z versus s i find your z sounds a lot closer to s like wow. zebra and i'm not yeah. saying that right zebra yeah see even there like i feel like you're you're almost saying like zebra it's it's not quite an s but it's not as far from an s as the way i would pronounce like a z sound. Zebra. 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 My name is Gretel Khan, but throughout most of my life, people have called me Gretel Khan. I was born and raised in Panama City, but in 2015, I moved to Montreal. I grew up speaking Spanish, but... I've also been learning English since childhood. I worked really hard to learn English. During my teenage years, I dreamed of being an actress in Hollywood. I wanted to sound just like the people I saw on the screen. I practiced my tooth as in fifth or myth, 
And those ever-annoying vowels that sound the same, like pool and pool. Pool. And I did it. I can speak English. And even though I didn't want to be an actress anymore, I thought I sounded exactly like a native speaker. That is, well, until I came to Canada. Here, I discovered I don't sound like everybody else. It doesn't matter how hard I try, there's always this lick of otherness in my speech that says I am a foreigner, like zebra or achievement or golden retriever. I feel like my accent puts a barrier between me and native English speakers that I will never really fit in here. But more than that, since I started working as a journalist, I worry that my accent makes me seem less capable at work, or stupid even and that people would trust my judgment less because of it. My name is Mark Pell. I'm a professor at McGill University in the School of Communication Sciences and Disorders. According to Mark, my fears are not misplaced. If someone has an accent and they say, turn right at the lights, will you believe them as much? Uh, in fact, you don't. So you, you tend to, to trust them a little bit less just because of their accent. Dr. Pell has studied accents especially the trustworthiness of accents, how people with standard Canadian English see other people with non-standard English. If you have an accent, any type of accent, according to the, the people that are rating, that are judging the person, they will consider you less believable. And uh, I was wondering what kind of consequences are these biases can have on people in their everyday life? Uh, they can be very real, very real. We're constantly being assessed in terms of uh, whether we're believable. But in very, very important contexts, in terms of employment, educational opportunities, these are situations where I've been told many people with uh, non-standard accents feel that they are being discriminated against and don't have the same opportunities as those who speak with the standard accent. Dr. Pell confirms my worst fears, that this kind of prejudice exists. It's wrong and unfair. I don't want to be singled out as sounding different. I want strangers to think English is my mother tongue. And I want to have the opportunities that that would mean. Betty Botter bought some butter. But Which leads me to this bitter. classroom on a Thursday night. They're teas, not these. Oh. It's butter, not butter. Butter bitter. Start again. Betty, Betty bought, bought her, bought some butter. Butter? Butter. Start again. Betty bought her, bought some butter, but she said the butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it will make my batter bitter. A lot of your teas are these. It's a class okay. in accent reduction and English pronunciation. And yep, that's me. Stumbling over the T's. The other voice you hear, that's Mike Wilder. He's the teacher. My name is Mike Wilder. My job is linguistic consultant. Joe's chores. Joe's chores. Mike runs the students through exercises like this one to improve their English pronunciation. It might sound like tough love. No. But no one's forcing us to be here. You're, you're coming out a little tense, okay? So just uh, relax. <laughs> we are all here because we want to lose our accents. So all... Okay, go ahead. Chose chores. 
you're okay, but you also, you're a little, you're kind of like, so everyone's worried about not sounding English. And English is actually pretty relaxed. So in order to have that better rhythm in English, you have to relax. And according to Mike, that's a big part of my problem. How stressed out I get when I speak English. When you speak English, you're speaking like an octave or maybe more lower. Okay? And that's all, it's all stress. That's all tension. Because your English is really good. Like, honest to God, if you came here and you said, okay, can you help me? I would say, no, you need a speech coach or you need a speech pathologist. But honestly, for you, is you have to find a way to be more accepting of your English. And I know you work in communication, so you really want it to be. But if you can relax and you can de-stress. Yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean now. That's what you're saying. So it's in your head. It's in your head. Well, it's it's in your head, but it comes out in your voice. I mean, it's not all in my head. You heard the Betty Butter Bust Some Butter exercise. Mike suggested I get a speech coach. My name is Victoria Patnode, and I'm a speech-language pathologist. And what I do is that I work with non-native English-speaking professionals who want to learn the North American English accent. Victoria gets me, because she's seen the toll having an accent has had on her parents. Her father's Greek, her mother's Polish. So my mom has always felt discouraged by her accent. It it has always bothered her. She's often felt kind of like a second-class citizen because of her accent, um, not as respected, M- many different negative feelings. And I feel it, it did hold her back from like reaching her full confidence level here. And it's funny, like sometimes well-meaning coworkers and stuff, they'll say, oh, but like your accent is so cute, they'll say to her. But, you know, as a professional, you that's, that's not what most people are going for, you know? So I, I know it comes from a good place, but, but it can still come across as very patronizing and belittling. I've had people say exactly the same thing to me. Oh, your accent is so cute. Sometimes your accent is so funny. I know it's well-meaning, but it points out that I'm not like them. Most of the people Victoria helps are like me, millennials and self-described high achievers, a motivated crowd that wants to sound a certain way. I also very often hear that my clients want to connect with native speakers on a deeper level. We actually try to speak like people we like or want to identify with. So a lot of my clients want to identify as, you know, as a Canadian or identify socially with their coworkers or their friends, and the accent prevents them from doing so. Victoria puts her finger on something that I have been struggling to understand. Why I can't seem to connect with Anglophones in the same way I connect with Spanish speakers. It's like my accent puts up an invisible wall, and shedding my accent, well, it feels like it would help me make those human connections that I need. So, the big question is, can Victoria help me? Tell me about your background, because you 
So did you never grow up in North America other than this five years in Montreal? Yeah. So I grew up in Panama. Okay. Uh, and I moved here uh, five years ago. I'm uh, shocked. Like, I'm totally shocked. I really? thought you were going to say like, oh, well, yeah, like I just moved here, but I spent like 14 years in the U.S. when I was a kid. Oh my like, God, no. You've done an incredible job because to me, you really do sound like the individuals like of the community here. Oh, that is very interesting. Well, thank you. I feel very, like, uh, I guess, happy that you said that. I guess because I'm really trying not to sound like I have an accent. There'd be no reason for me to guide you to improvement because, to me, you sound perfect. You sound awesome. You sound confident. You, you really do sound, to me, like a Montrealer. I take a moment to bask in this. I can't tell you how good it makes me feel. But then a doubt starts to creep in. Something that has been hovering on the edge this whole time. Why am I so happy that I can blend in? That I sound more like a Montrealer than a Panamanian? I mean, I am Latina. Should I be hiding that? Lastimosamente, como dije, tenemos que hacer esto en inglés. Okay. ¿Estás <laughs> ready? One of the only other Panamanians I know in the city is Alexa Cárdenas. Alexa and I have known each other since grade six. We went to the same high school back in Panama and literally learned English together. Then we both moved to Montreal as adults to study. Our accents are very similar, subtle with a hint of Spanish. And Alexa? Well, she does not feel the same way about her accent as I feel about mine. I am aware that I have an accent. Um, I usually get told by people that they're surprised that my accent is not as strong as they imagined it would be, which is kind of weird. I don't like hearing that. I would like to have the kind of accent that you see like Dominicans and Puerto Ricans have in English it would be easier to tell that I'm Latina and that's something that I want to project to others, especially living in Canada. I wonder why Alexa feels so differently than I do. I guess since I started living in Canada and being more aware of imperialism from North America in Latin America, I've been wanting to assert myself as Panamanian as much as I can. And a way to do that is sounding like myself. That's why I want to have a stronger accent. What, did, what would you say if I told you that I, I want my accent to be just like a, Cana like a Canadian accent? I guess it's up to each individual person to decide what they want to sound like and the kind of like complexes that your accent gives you. But like I want to keep the things that make me special and individual. And I think accents are part of that. Alexa and I had never discussed this before, even though she's my oldest friend in Montreal. We aren't as close as we used to be, but we still see each other. And I had just assumed she felt the same way about things as I did. Instead, Alexa surprises me. She makes me realize that by trying to chip away at my accent, I'm giving away a part of who I am and where I come from. I feel embarrassed that I was embarrassed about it. It's true. 
My accent is something that makes me special. And okay, I will be lying if I said that I won't still try to put my best foot forward when I speak English. It is, after all, essential to how people perceive me professionally and personally. But maybe now I'll try not to dissect every word I can't pronounce properly. The fact that the word foreigner sounds weird in my mouth doesn't just mean that I'm a foreigner, but also that I can speak more than one language. So, I'm going to try something new. I'm gonna try to be okay with sounding like this. Sounding like myself. That doc was produced by Gretel Kahn. It was edited by Allison Cook. I'm AC Rowe. This is The Doc Project, with two stories about our voices. From CBC Podcasts and The Fifth Estate, Brainwashed is a multi-part investigation into the CIA's experiments in mind control. From the Cold War and MKUltra to the so-called War on Terror, we learn about a psychiatrist who used his patients as human guinea pigs and what happens when the military and medicine collide. Listen to Brainwashed on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Twelve years ago, writer Christiane Conlin made a doc for a CBC show that's not around anymore. It was called Outfront. You might remember it. I loved this show. I grew up on it. Well, Christiane had made friends with a woman named Jocelyn Doucette. And Jocelyn's voice was slowly disappearing. Testing, testing. Is it picking up my voice at all? There we go. I don't remember my original voice anymore. Except if I just say it in my head like you would say something to yourself. That's my voice. Jocelyn has tracheal stenosis. And my simplified understanding of this is she has a a benign growth in her throat that keeps reoccurring. And the only way to remove it, the growth, is to actually take a piece of her trachea out. So there's a limited number of times that can be done. How many surgeries in total have you had? 27. 27 surgeries. She's been dealing with tracheal stenosis almost all of her adult life. What it's done over the years is all of these procedures um, gradually changed the quality of her voice, lowered her voice, left her with a whispering voice. To me, all I hear is rough, rough and hoarse and whisper and not nice. It's, there's no gentleness to it. I think that there is a real, a very, well, there's a very gentle quality in you that comes through somehow. Still, it's, um, it's not me. When I heard about her voice, I didn't know much, and it's such a complicated, almost like affliction. Um, so I asked, and someone said, no, that's, she can only whisper now. And I was really shocked, and, um... I immediately thought it must be really isolating. And when I I knew that she hadn't been able to go back to teaching, I I felt like if I was in that situation, I would have wanted someone to reach out to me. And I made an effort the next time I saw her to go up and introduce myself, reintroduce myself and start to talk to her. I had to almost put my head on your shoulder. And I thought, God, I hope she does. (laughs) 
<laughs> she doesn't mind. <laughs> I'm invading her space, but it's the only way I can hear her. So, and you didn't seem to mind, but it just seemed like very kind of unusual developing a friendship. <laughs> you barely know somebody and you have yeah. to like get into their space. I had to put my ear almost on her lips so I could hear her talk. And so it was sort of an intimate start to a friendship. Jocelyn is an extraordinary person, deeply artistic, very passionate, bon vivant, free spirit, I would call Jocelyn. Okay, we're going to go down to the den and we're going to make Santa breads. She's a very passionate teacher. Um, teach it, she teaches French immersion in the elementary school. She's a wife and partner of the heart to her husband, Martin. She's the mother to four children, four extraordinary children. <laughs> So you're the oldest, right? How old are you? Um, ten. Now, I hear that you and Pascal read bedtime stories. Is that right? Yes. My mom used to read to them, but now we read all the time. We sometimes alternate. So you've had to grow up a little bit in that way? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Well, Jocelyn was waiting for some procedures, like surgical procedures, that she was convinced would restore her voice. And so there was an anticipation and a bit of excitement. And when those didn't work, there was a, a frustration, I think, because her life was seeming to change in a way that was out of her control and it was becoming her nightmare which was to permanently lose her voice that what she thought was temporary would become the reality for her family she would have to recreate herself as a person who couldn't talk almost like you know if some if you're listening to a piece of music that you love and someone is slowly turning down the volume and in the end, you're left with a memory of something incredibly beautiful. And you'll be called at that point to move into the unknown and recreate something new. So the stakes were enormous. How, how do you feel about thinking you might not be able to go back to teaching? I wouldn't know what else to do. There's a lot of times I just don't say what I want to say because it's too much effort to speak it. So a lot of things go unsaid. <clears throat> it felt like it was sort of, this was a last bridge. And if this surgery didn't work, then she would know that her life would have changed forever because she would be stuck with a whispering voice or perhaps no voice at all. We were talking about um, would your voice come back immediately following oh, yeah. the surgery? And I don't know the answer to that. In my head, I say yes. I'm going to wake up from surgery and I'm going to start talking. The day finally came, two weeks after Jocelyn had her surgery, where we met for lunch at the Union Street Cafe, and I got to hear her voice. 
Okay, so let me hear. Hello. Hello out there. <laughs> I got out of surgery. I, my surgery was three and a half hours long. Well, your voice is dramatically different. Like, it's even different miking you. And it's, it's amazing because you really have a voice. The biggest difference I see is that I feel like myself again. Like, I feel like I've been acting for the last year and it was somebody else talking because it wasn't me. There's this ghastly voice. I mean, this voice is not perfect, but it's, it's, it's allowing me to be more natural and more me. So I feel like I've gotten myself back. Right? Really. Wow. Okay, eat your lunch. So that was Jocelyn 12 years ago. And everyone who heard her story back then has wondered about her since. So last month, we followed up. After surgery, Jocelyn went back to teaching. But it didn't last. Shortly after, her doctors gave her an ultimatum. You have to stop teaching. You have to stop using your voice. Or, you know, in five years' time, you just won't have a voice left for your family. You have to stop. That was a really hard pill to swallow. Really hard. This is Jocelyn with writer Christiane Comlin now. We have to be really close, just okay. like we were when you had to totally whisper. Mm. <laughs> I still, I think I still sound the same out loud. Mm. My breathing is stable. And I think that's what one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we mentioned was my initial disease, tracheal stenosis, was there was a big issue with breathing. And that hasn't really gone away. My trachea is wonky and I have issues with breathing. So I think that kind of got lost because it was at that time when you did the first initial interview The voice was the big thing. I was going to lose, maybe lose my voice, maybe not go back to teaching. Um, But all the while, breathing was number one. The voice is a secondary issue. I remember when we talked that you said if you couldn't go back to teaching, you didn't know what you would do. It's interesting hearing you talk about all this, right? Because I was watching it all unfold then and your excitement and then it not working out. But I remember you said what I don't know what I would do. So what what did you what did you do? <laughs> um, well, I just gathered my energy back and just finding where it is, what I can do that will not exhaust me. I I tried to stay active, but find my limits. And Martin is really good about finding new artistic ways for me to develop and really enjoy that creative part. And then I inherited a loom, and so now I weave. So I'm being artistic, creative in, in a different way rather than teaching and being creative in how I teach. I guess they were kind of solitary activities, which is the only real downside. How do you stay so positive and engaged with life through all of that? What's your secret? 
What's my secret? I life will throw you a bunch of things and you just have to accept it and deal with it the best you can. I'm really lucky that I've got four really respectful, engaged boys that help out, that understand my situation, that will step in where they know I can't do something. Martin is is great that way too. To him, I'm no different than I ever was. And essentially, life is good. La vie est belle. Une belle vie. Okay, Max, do you remember when I did my whispering friend? Well, I don't remember you recording my mom or anything. Do you, do you remember her whistling and clapping and all those things? Well, she's always whistled for us. She's never screamed our names when we were in the woods. How do you feel about having to help her out? Oh, well, I don't mind at all because it, it's been like that for as long as I can remember. So some people might look at it like maybe an inconvenience, but if we're on a hike or something, mom struggles uh, with like even slight hills. So if we're going up a hill, we'll, we'll wait for her and we'll stop at the top and... I just say that there's nothing wrong with her voice. What are you making? I'm weaving. I'm not sure what this is going to be, but on my other loom, I'm making a blanket. So it's a king-size bed, so it's going to be a really big, warm wool blanket. She has a life force, the power of her spirit. The way she lives is a work of art, and the way she lives really speaks volumes and says everything that needs to be said. That Doc and The Update were produced by Christiane Comlin and Outfront producer-turned-doc project producer Kent Hoffman. That's all for us this week. The Doc Project is produced by Allison Cook, Kent Hoffman, and me. Our digital producers are Althea Manassin and Tahiat Mahboub. Our senior producer is Julia Poggle. Special thanks this week to the team at Outfront, wherever they may be. Well, I know where Kent is. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.